God is doing a great work in Ethiopia. I, this will be my 20th, the 21st time to Ethiopia this year that we'll be going back. And uh, as I mentioned, last year we saw a little over 190,000 people saved just last year. And then I mentioned over the last uh, five years, uh, we've seen now over 900,000 people saved. And we really got a conviction about the follow-up. And we're doing the training with the preachers and the pastors and also with the ladies to do follow-up. And now building the churches out literally in the jungle uh, where they have no church. And uh, the money that we have raised, we've just been praying that God would, would give the money and he has. And we discovered, first of all, that the people that were being saved in the markets actually were walking 20 miles just to go to church and 20 miles back. And so we had the conviction then that they need a church close by. And so the first church and the second church uh, are close to the big markets that are out there in the jungle. And they're about 20 minutes away now, uh, walking distance. And so that's going to make it where they'll be able to have the follow-up and disciple them on, on through the years. And so God is doing a great work. And one of the things that uh, I thought about was when the glory falls and the glory is, is falling, the glory has been manifested uh, in that southern sector of Ethiopia. And God is doing you know, a great work. In one of the uh, markets that we preached in last year, uh, presented the gospel and then led in a sinner's prayer. There were literally thousands of people that were saved uh, during that. And then I just sort of had a sense that we, we need to pray further. And I stood up and said, uh, some of you are looking for a way and, and he'll make a way. And some of you are, have physical sickness and you need God's touch to heal you. And so uh, as they said to me, we don't have doctors <laughs> and we don't have hospitals. We don't have medicine. And they said to me, uh, all we have is prayer. That's all we've got. And so I called on Rosita and she stood in the back of that truck and prayed that God would make a way for those who didn't have a way, but also that God would heal the sick. And our God is Jehovah Rapha. Amen. And a lot of times here we pray for the sick, but we really believe that he's going to do it. And so she prayed for the sick, for God to heal. And it was amazing what God did right there. The little girl you saw showed up on the back of our truck. We don't ever let anyone get up on the truck with us. It's just dangerous. We don't let anyone on the truck. And in fact, we have guards there. But all of a sudden we looked and this little girl was on the truck. And I, I thought perhaps she got lost from her mom and dad. And I asked the uh, uh, translator, interpreter that I had to hold her up and ask, was her mom and dad there? And when we did that, there was a man at the back of the truck said, no, said, I'm, I'm her father. And said, I have brought her here for those people, us, to pray over her. She's five years old and she's never been able to speak a word. And we want to ask those people to pray and ask God to loose her tongue so she can talk. 
I said, okay. <laughs> and so we laid hands on her, prayed over her, and asked God to loose her tongue so she could talk. And miracle of miracles, she started talking. She started talking. And being the little girl, you know, uh, she could understand their language, but she wanted the microphone. <laughs> so uh, she grabbed the microphone and she began to talk. You could tell it was a broken language because she had never spoke before, but she began to talk. And, and the crowd literally went uh, crazy, didn't they? Uh, as she began to talk. And in that same market, uh, Rosita had seen this uh, man. His eyes were milky. He was blind. And then we noticed there was a commotion back in the crowd. And I said again to my interpreter, I said, what's, what's happening? What's going on? And he called them to come forward. And this man came forward and he said, I can see. My sight has been restored. I can see. And then there was a, another lady that they actually carried there that day. She could not walk there. And we, I noticed there was a lady there at the truck that was dancing. And I said, what, what's she dancing for? And they said, well, she could not walk and now she's dancing. I mean, we saw miracle of miracles, God begin to manifest his power. Now, I'm convinced, Brother Victor, that God was just solidifying the gospel that was being preached. And as a result of that, they were open to receive the gospel. And uh, since then, we've heard that there's another uh, village that said that no white man had ever preached in. And uh, they've asked us now, when we go back in May, to come to that village and preach because they heard that God was at work, that God was moving. And so when we go back this May, we'll actually be going into that village into that area preaching the gospel. And so be praying for that. But the glory of the Lord is, is moving there. And we want that same glory to happen here. Amen? And so uh, we pray that will happen uh, this week. Um, by the way, just this looks in passing. Uh, you do know you have a jailbird that's been preaching for you this week, don't you? Uh, a few years ago, uh, I was preaching out in one of the uh, markets and uh, you, you were there, weren't you? You remember? And uh, the uh, policeman showed up and he began to holler at me while I was on the truck. I couldn't understand what he was saying and so I just kept preaching. And then finally, highly, uh, the guy that we work with began to holler out at me and he said, Don, Don, you must stop preaching. You must stop preaching. I said, I cannot stop preaching. I said, I'm getting ready to give the invitation. He said, you must stop. And finally, you know, uh, the policeman got so irate, uh, literally he forced me off the back of the truck. The other pastor that was with me was there and then my secretary was there and they took us and, and put us in jail. And because the Muslims were making such a commotion because that we were preaching there. And uh, when they took us to the jail and put us in the jail cell, I asked the uh, chief of police, I said, are we going to be arrested? 
He said, you're already arrested. <laughs> and so we were there for a while and enough to really get anxious about it. And finally, highly through his uh, negotiation and got us out. And when we got out, the, uh, the chief of police said to me, he said, you get out of this city. And he said, stop your preaching. So you remember, we got back in the van. We got right to the edge of the city. You could tell where it ended. And you remember what I did? I said, stop the van. And so I stepped over the line, got my interpreter. We started preaching <laughs> and the crowd gathered there. So you didn't know you had a jailbird <laughs> uh, preaching for you uh, this week. I want to preach tonight on the subject, when the glory comes, there will be forgiveness. In every move of God, there's going to be forgiveness. And I'm going to ask you if you will, take your Bibles now and open them to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read there verse 9 down through verse 15. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And if you're ready for the word of God, say amen. Jesus said, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. Now, a lot of times that we call this the, uh, the Lord's Prayer, but really it's not the Lord's Prayer. This is the model prayer. And he is saying, not necessarily that you just pray this prayer, but he says, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then Jesus explains what he has just said in verse 14 and verse 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Father, I do pray tonight that your glory will fall. Manifest your power and your presence here tonight. And Lord, we're convinced just in the people here tonight, God, if you were to work in our heart and your glory fill our lives, that it not only will it change this church, but God, it will change this city and this region. Holy Spirit of God, fall on this place tonight in power. Set our hearts aflame for Jesus and for the souls of men, women, boys, and girls. And when the invitation is extended in a few moments, may there be a freedom for people to respond to your call. May your perfect will be accomplished. May the name of Jesus be honored. In Christ's name I pray and all God's people say, amen. When the glory comes, there will be forgiveness. Dale Moody, the great evangelist of yesteryear, said that the one sin that Christians have the greatest difficulty dealing with is that of forgiveness. And then he went on to say that the one sin that 
keeps us from experiencing the power of God more than any other thing is the sin of unforgiveness. And I believe that he was exactly right. I mean, if we're going to experience revival, if we're going to experience the glory of God, we must learn to forgive and be forgiven. Now, what I want to do tonight is it's very simple. Three main things about forgiveness. Number one, the reasons for forgiving one another. No doubt, when I begin to talk about forgiveness or unforgiveness, immediately, you begin to think of somebody. You begin to think, you know, <laughs> I really don't like that person. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've got a hard feelings toward them or I've got a grudge uh, toward them. And that's the very thing that's holding the power of God back in your life. Now, let me give you two reasons that we are to forgive one another. Number one, there is the grace that we share. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Listen, God has been so good to us. God has forgiven us. I mean, as God has forgiven us, he says, forgive one another. Sam Jones, the Methodist revivalist of yesteryear, said that he had a real difficulty falling out with other people until he first decided that he wasn't going to fall out with anyone until they had treated him worse than he had treated Christ. We nailed Christ on the cross. Our sins placed him there upon the cross. I mean, if he could give his life and forgive us, we can forgive one another. Amen? And so, number one, we are to forgive because of the grace that we share. Number two, we are to forgive because of the guilt that we bear. Daily, we all mess up. I mean, daily we, we sin. Amen. And amen. I mean, we, we mess up. We come before God and say, God, I, I blew it. God, please forgive me. But you see, God is not going to forgive you unless you're willing to forgive other people. Again, in Matthew chapter six, Verse 14, verse 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, in order to understand that, you need to look back up in verse 12. You get the context where he said there, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus is saying, you're going to be forgiven the same way you forgive others. I mean, if you refuse to forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. You say, well, I, 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 may, for, I may forgive them, but I won't forget it. God says, okay, 
I'll forgive you, but I won't forget it. <laughs> I may forgive them, but I don't want anything to do with them anymore. God says, okay, I'll forgive you, but I won't have anything to do with you anymore. I mean, isn't that what he's saying? I mean, he said, I'm going to forgive you of your debts as you have forgive others their debts. I heard about a father that came home and his little boy and little girl, they were fighting and, you know, acting up. And I'm certain uh, your kids never did that. Amen. I mean, they were perfect angels. And, uh, you know, I mean, they were, you know, going at it, going at it. And, and finally, you know, he came down on them and said, listen, man, you, you need to straighten up, get it right. And the little, little girl, you know, you know, come on. Guys, let's just admit that little, that little sweetheart, she knows how to work daddy. You know what I mean? And so big old tears began to stream down her cheeks and she ran over and put her arms around her daddy's neck and began to say to her daddy, daddy, I, I love you so much and I'm so sorry, daddy. I'm so sorry. And, you know, of course he was thinking, you know, then his heart was melting. And then he noticed out the side of his, his eye, while she was saying, Daddy, I love you so much, she was sticking her tongue out at her brother across the room. And he saw that, and finally he said, Okay, sweetheart, sit down here. You can't be putting your arms around my neck and telling me how much you love me and sticking your tongue out at your brother at the same time. We come to church, we sing the songs, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Oh, for the love of God. And at the same time, we may be sticking our tongue out at a brother or a sister across the church. Listen, God's not going to receive that kind of worship. Amen? You see, God is going to forgive us our debts as we forgive others. And so here are two real reasons for forgiving one another. There's the grace that we share. And then there is the guilt that we bear. And then number two, I want you to notice the requirements for forgiving one another. Again, listen to Ephesians chapter four, verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. See, Christ is our example He's our example for forgiving. And how did Christ forgive? Well, we are to forgive one another freely. In other words, we're to be in a hurry to forgive. We don't wait around to forgive. When Christ was hanging upon that cross, you can hear him as he was talking and speaking there upon the cross. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. I mean, even while they were nailing him on the cross, he was forgiving them freely. We need to learn how to forgive freely. Be in a hurry. Just write this passage there in the margin of your Bible. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. The Bible says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, 
Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Have you ever, have you ever wronged somebody? I mean, ever, have you ever done something that you should not have done toward another person? And then they begin to take that um, and beat you over the head with it. Y'all know what I mean? I mean, I'm not talking about physically, but emotionally or, or spiritually or verbally. They begin to beat you over the head with it. I mean, finally, when they've squeezed all the juice out of you that they can get, they finally say, okay, I forgive you now. And we want to say, just forget it. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, we're to go and forgive freely. Do it quickly. Go to them. I mean, don't wait around. Do it quickly. And then not only do we forgive freely, but also we forgive fully. Fully forgive. Again, have you ever, you ever messed up? You ever done something that offended someone or hurt someone? And, and you go to them and you say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And they look back and say, oh, just forget it. And you say, no, I ask you to forgive me. You see, what they're doing really is just pride. They don't want you to really know that they are offended. Just forget it. No, forgive me. Dr. Sid Nichols, has Sid ever preached here? Okay. Sid is one of my closest, closest friends. He was a director of missions in Anniston, Alabama. Been now probably 10 years ago that his wife passed away. And uh, he was just going through some tough times. And he and his wife had been saving up for several years to buy a new vehicle. I mean, they were driving some older vehicles and they'd been saving money to go buy a new vehicle so they'd pay cash for it. And so after she passed away and he said to his son and daughter, well, I, I don't believe, really believe I'm going to buy that vehicle now since, you know, Barbara's passed away. And they said, no, daddy, daddy, mama would want you to go ahead and buy that vehicle. And so he said he began to look around and search around. And, and finally he bought a, and I've, I'm a man, I drive a, I drive a white Toyota pickup, okay. Four-wheel drive, extended cab, I mean. So he went and bought him, I mean, the high upper level. Toyota, four-wheel drive, leather seats. I mean, you name it, it had it, okay? Pickup. And oh, he was so proud. And so a couple of weeks after he bought it, he pulled into a church where he was preaching revival. And he pulled into the parking lot, and there was an older man that was standing there in the parking lot when Brother Sid pulled in, got out of his truck, and the older man said, I wish I could be a preacher. 
He said, if I could be a preacher, he said, I could, I could drive a new truck like you're driving. And Sid said, I could feel the tempter <laughs> begin to come up. But he said, I thought, no, just be quiet. Just be quiet. And he said, I walked on into the church and the old man followed me on into the church. And we were standing out in the foyer. Other men were standing around and the old man once again said, hey men, I wish I could be a preacher and I could drive a new truck like this preacher's driving here tonight. And Sid said, finally, I'd had enough. And understand that Alabama accent. He said, I looked over and he said, Sir, I have you know. And he told the story. My wife and I saved money for years to buy that pickup. And that pickup is paid for. I don't owe a penny on that pickup. And he said, I felt good. He said, I told him off. And he said, I went on into the church, sat on the front row, getting ready to preach. He said, I had my Bible there, you know, on my lap. And he said, then uh, the Holy Ghost began to get hold of me and say to me, how are you going to get up there and preach after you've shown yourself the way you did? And he said, I knew what I had to do. He said, so I laid my Bible over on the pew and, and they were standing up and singing. And he said, I turned around and looked to see where the older man was. He was on the very back pew right in the middle of the section. Now, Brother Sid is not a little man. If he weigh a pound, he'll weigh 350 plus, won't he? Right? He's a big guy. And so he said, I made my way back while they were singing. And he said, I walked in the pew in front of him, walking over people to finally get over in front of him. And he said, I looked at him and I said, sir, I should not have said what I said to you. And I got mad at you. And he said, I want to ask you to please forgive me. And the older man looked back and said, oh, just forget it. And Sid said, no, you're going to have to forgive me or I'm not going to preach here tonight. And finally, the older man said, okay, I forgive you. And Sid said, I said, thank you. Thank you. He said, I made my way back down, stood up, and I preached. And when I gave the invitation, there was only one decision that night. You know who it was? The older man. And that night, that older man came and trusted Christ, and he got saved. And the pastor shared that with the church. And the older gentleman looked and said, I'd like to say something. He said, you all know me. I've been around this church for years and years. And he said, I've, I've done everything around this church. But he said, through all these years, he said, I knew I was a fake. I was a phony. 
and I'd really never been saved. But he said, tonight, for the first time in my life, I saw Jesus. And he said, God saved me. Oh, listen, people are looking for that. Amen? I mean, if we're going to forgive, we're going to forgive fully. See, just saying I forget, forget it, that won't cut it. I mean, if you're going to forgive, you've got to forgive fully, completely. What are the requirements of forgiveness? We're to forgive one another freely. We're to forgive one another fully. And then also, we're to forgive one another finally. Now, how does God forgive us? He says, I will remember your sin no more. He said, I will remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. He said he'd take our sins and bury them at the depths of the sea. I mean, gone, gone, gone are our sins. When we forgive, it's to be finally. We don't keep bringing it up. I heard of a lady who went in to talk to a pastor. And uh, her husband was there with her and they began to discuss about the problems they were having. And the husband uh, looked at the pastor and said, you know, said, as we begin to, you know, have our discussion, said, uh, my, my wife gets historical. And the pastor said, oh, you mean hysterical? He said, no, she gets historical. I mean, things that happened years and years and years ago, she begins to bring it up and up and up. See, that's not the way you do it. I mean, when you forgive, it's to be final. Amen? You don't keep bringing it up. You don't cry to keep beating people's over the head with it. The reasons for giving one another. The requirements for giving, for giving one another. And then number three, the results of forgiving one another. What are the results of forgiving one another? Number one, there'll be reconciliation. I mean, you're brought together. There's a oneness. Matthew 18, verse 15 again. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fall between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. And then in Matthew 5, 24 and 25, I love this. Jesus said, leave there thy gift before the altar. And go thy way, first be reconciled to thy brother. And then and come and offer the gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, while thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee unto the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou shalt be cast into prison. He says, you come to the altar. And you remember that you're at odds. You're at odds with a brother. He said, first, be reconciled to your brother before you offer the gift. Now, let me, just, let me help you with that. You come to this altar and you remember that there's a brother or there's a sister that you're at odds with. Now, don't, don't take your offering 
with you. Leave, leave it here. <laughs> I mean, just leave it here. Okay? Leave it here. And first, go and be reconciled with your brother. I mean, Victor, this, you may not like this, okay? But you know, more important than coming to worship tonight, if you know there's a brother or there's a sister out there that you're at odds with, rather than coming and worship, you need to go get it right with them. I mean, before you come and sing the songs tonight, before you do that and you know there's a brother or sister out there that you're at odds with, go get it right with them before you try to enter into an act of worship. Amen and amen. I mean, there's going to, there's going to be a, a oneness to be reconciled. And then not only will there be the reconciliation, but there's going to be revival. Sometimes we come and say, Lord, we want revival. Well, it's not just a matter of us getting right with God. It's getting right with one another. It's not just taking the roof off, but it's breaking the sides down to get right with our brothers and our sisters. There'll never be revival until we get right with each other. Amen? Years ago, when I was a college student at Carson Newman College in East Tennessee, God had always been good to me. I only missed two Sundays preaching in four years of college. God just opened up doors to preach. But there was one week that I didn't have a place to preach and the uh, placement office contacted me and said, we're going to send out preachers this week to a certain area and said, uh, would you mind going to such and such church and preach? I thought, well, okay, I really don't want to be sent out, you know, that way, but, you know, I'll, I'll go. But God was in it. I went to that church, Oak Grove Baptist Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. Went there that morning. Understand, I was green as a gourd. Y'all know what I mean? I was just a, like a teenage boy preaching there. I preached there that, that morning. I didn't know what was taking place in that church. But all of a sudden, during the invitation, I saw an older man on this side in the church make his way down to the front. And I saw a young man on this side of the church make his way down to the front. And I want to tell you, everyone in that church got quiet. They didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know, but for years, those two men had been at odds with each other. And they came there to that altar that morning, spoke a few words, and then they embraced. And glory fell. Other people began to run to the altar. People got saved. People got right with God. The pastor came to me, Brother John Gilbert, and said, we'd like for you to come back next Sunday and just start revival here in our church. And Victor, I went back the next week. We preached on through that week and on through the next week. I mean, God poured out his power. God poured out his glory. And that's what happens when people get right with one another.
Amen. Now I'm not going to call the name because there's some people here to know who I'm talking about. I pastored First Baptist Church in Milan, Tennessee for 12 years. And God blessed. God blessed there. And we were used to people being saved. But there were two families there in our church. And just to be very honest, uh, there was an affair between one of the men and the other man's wife. And the church took sides. They took sides. And everything just shut down. Just shut down. And it was just like God put a cap over that church and said, y'all can go ahead and play church all you want to down there, but I'm not going to come down until you get things right. And I would have been happy. Victor, I would have been happy if a three-legged dog had come down the aisle during those months. But on a Sunday night, I saw the lady of the guilty husband make her way down to the altar. And we had two main aisles. She came down this side and she went down that aisle back toward the other woman. And I thought, oh Lord, they're going to fight. <laughs> and we were singing just as I am. <laughs> and I saw her walk back to the other woman. They spoke for a few moments, and then I saw them hold hands, make their way to the altar, kneel down at the altar, pray together, stood up, and embraced. One went back that way, the other one went back that way. It was over. It was over. Now, they never became best friends, didn't need to, but it was over. And God began to move right in that service. We had people get saved. We had people come to the altar. And God began to move once again. Listen, if we're going to have revival, if we're going to see the glory of the Lord fall upon this church, we have to be right with one another. Amen and amen. You see, there will be reconciliation. There will be revival. And then also they'll be rejoicing. Revive thy people that they may rejoice in thee. How many of you have ever been in a real revival? You know, most people today don't understand what real revival is. I mean, when you come to a place where the Spirit of God's moving and people getting right with God, I mean, it's going to be as thick you could cut it with a knife. You know what I mean? I mean, it's no doubt God is there. Wouldn't you love to see that? Wouldn't you love to see that here at First Baptist Church in Columbus, Texas? May God grant it. May God grant it. I'm going to ask you if you will, bow your heads. Close your eyes. You may be here tonight and you don't know Christ. And of course, I'd encourage you to come to know him. Because he loves you and he died for you. And he wants to come to your heart to save you. But also, you may be here tonight and you say, Preacher, I really want revival. I really want the, the glory of God to fill my heart and fill my life. And whatever it takes, I'm willing to do it. Maybe God is speaking to you about someone you know that you're at odds with. Now, if they don't know it, 
If they don't know about it, don't go bother them with it. You bring it to the altar. You just bring it to the, to the Lord. But if there's an open dispute, get it right between them. Don't try to alibi it. Just get it right. It may be tonight God is speaking and you say, I need to get some things right. The invitation is going to be open. The altar is going to be open. We're not going to have any music just now. But God's speaking to you and you say, I want revival. I want the glory of God to fall upon my life. And God, if nobody else wants it, I want it. And just draw a circle around your life and say, God, start it right here in this circle. Whatever I've got to do to get it right, to have revival, to have the glory of the Lord to control my life, do it here tonight. If nobody else wants it, I want it. Do it tonight. The invitation's open. The altar's open. You come. This is a ministry of First Baptist Church located at 1700 Milam Street, Columbus, Texas.